good morning, church. Uh, not only those who are online, but those who are here in the room. And as I've spoken to several of you before about this, it is uh, just so good to see live faces when I'm speaking, when I'm preaching, because, you know, uh, it, it's fine to speak. Uh, yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's fine to speak uh, to a camera, knowing that uh, in my imagination there are lots of people out there, but uh, you know, pastors, the, the, our, our, our whole goal is not to preach the Bible or teach the Bible. We want to teach people the Bible. You know, we want to, uh, you know, you're communicating to people, and it's good to have live folks. And, you know, thank God for the digital age that we can do this sort of thing online, but online church is not church. You know, God intended us to be, you know, flesh and blood together, and so one day, hopefully, we're going to all be together, but not yet, not yet. And... Um, Church, I want to give you just a little update about what's been going on with racial reconciliation, both Woods Edge and, and the city. Uh, this past Monday and Tuesday, I was on uh, extensive dialogue with uh, African-American pastors and Anglo pastors for, from throughout our city. Uh, some of you tuned in to one or of those. Uh, Wednesday, I was with a gathering of both government leaders and pastors here in the Woodlands area in dialogue. Um, tomorrow morning... There should be hundreds of pastors of all races gathering together um, to, to meet about what we can do as a city for racial justice. And that is unprecedented. And as I've been saying, this, this is an opportunity with a confluence of crises for us as a church to be the church. And this is an opportunity that, that we just haven't had in the past. And we, we want to step into it. And so you could pray that God would meet us there tomorrow morning and that uh, God would bring great unity and heart. And that would be a catalyst, not just for racial reconciliation in our city, racial justice, but it'd be a catalyst for revival. Um, there is a deep, warm spirit among so many pastors and churches that I'm experiencing and I'm hopeful about. Um, our elders are meeting tomorrow night. Uh, one of our topics, we're talking about uh, uh, how we as a church, how God wants us as a church to, to speak out and to, to serve during this time. So all of that's coming up. Uh, need your prayers. Uh, we are in the book of Acts today. I love the book of Acts. I, I believe, I, I don't have records to show. Well, I've got records, but I didn't look it up. But I think I've preached more in the book of Acts than any other book of the Bible in my 40 years of ministry. Love the book of Acts. Uh, it's the unforgettable story of the early church with a people aflame with the Holy Spirit, fueled by prayer and spreading the gospel across the Roman Empire. You know, it began as a small band of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, but it became, under the power of the Spirit, uh, a large, multinational, multi-ethnic, multilingual, largely Gentile church that would reach the capital of the vast Roman Empire. So it turned upside down the Roman Empire. Our passage today, Acts 10, is one of the watershed passages in all the New Testament because for the first time the gospel is going to sort of officially go beyond the Jews, beyond the half-Jews, that is the Samaritans, to the Gentiles. Now, just about everybody in this room uh, are, are Gentiles. All non-Jews are Gentiles. And, and this is what Jesus had said, is that the gospel would go now beyond Israel. 
and beyond the Jews. He said in Acts 1.8, which is not only the theme verse of the book of Acts, it is, it is the very last thing Jesus said before the ascension. So it has particular importance. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, our city, in Judea and Samaria. Now, when he says Samaria, he now moved beyond the Jews to the half-Jews. Remember, Samaritans were half-Jews. And then to the ends of the earth. That'd be Gentiles. And it is in Acts 10 that it crosses from Judea and Samaria to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth. And so in Acts 1 through 9, it has been throughout Judea and Samaria. Now beginning in Acts 10 and the rest of the book, it's going to go to the ends of the earth in progressive stages. And it is still spreading today. As we live in what is often called Acts 29, it is still spreading today. It is spreading all over the world. It is spreading in the Muslim world more than ever, by far more than ever. Muslims are coming to Christ left and right. It is spreading in the Buddhist world, in the communist world, in the Hindu world. It is spreading in the secular materialist world that encompasses much of Western Europe and the United States. It is spreading in our neighborhoods among our friends, among our relatives, among our neighbors. And all of this spread to the non-Jews began in our passage of Acts 10. Now, three weeks ago when we were last in Acts 10, we saw that the man God uses was a Gentile. His name was Cornelius, and he was a Roman military officer. And he is visited by an angel, and the angel tells him, basically, send men to find this Jewish man called Peter and bring him here to see what I've got to say to you. Several times the book of Acts emphasizes that the reason behind choosing of Cornelius was because of two things. He was a man of generosity and a man of prayer. And when God says, send men to Joppa to get Peter, he immediately obeys. The very next day, we saw this also, that the man from Cornelius were drawing near the house of Simon Peter in Joppa. And about that time, the same time, Peter is going up on the roof to pray as the Spirit is continuing to underscore that everything, uh, prayers behind everything, every kingdom advance in the book of Acts. Peter has this unusual vision that is repeated three times, and there's this large sheet, all kinds of unclean animals, unclean the book of Leviticus that Jews didn't eat, and three times God says, kill and eat. Peter says, oh, no, I don't, I don't touch unclean things. But it became clear that God's point was not primarily about unclean food, but unclean people. Because you see that for over a thousand years, the Jewish people had this a misconception that the Gentiles were somehow unclean to God and God didn't care about them. And by the way, the Gentiles reciprocated that prejudice right back. So God had just taught Peter, as they are arriving, that the Gentiles aren't, aren't uh, you know, unclean and they don't not matter to me. And so when the Gentiles' representatives knock on the door, Peter invites them in. And they, don't di they didn't do that. You don't invite, Jews don't invite Gentiles in. But he invited them in. He heard God. And at that point, we pick up our passage. And if you'd stand with me, I'm going to read our passage. Acts 10, 23. Actually, it's 23b where the paragraph starts. The next day, he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them, had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you gathered yourselves, you know, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter, his lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. Amen. Tom, good to have you back in the house. Little voice. So Peter gets the word. He gets the messengers. Next day they leave. Peter and his friends make the two-day trip north from Joppa near modern-day Tel Aviv to Caesarea north on the coast. By the way, our children and grandchildren in Israel, many of y'all know that uh, for the last three years, Mike and Sarah Grand, Sarah's our daughter, and their three kids have lived halfway on this route. Uh, Peter would have gone right by their house, or close by it, uh, Herzliya, between Joppa and uh, Caesarea. About, by driving today, it's a half hour uh, to Herzliya and a half hour on to Caesarea. To, uh, back in that day, it would be two days. So right on the way. Now, when Peter arrives in Caesarea, there is a house full of people waiting for Peter. Now, maybe he thought it was just going to be Cornelius or Cornelius and his family, but the house is crowded. And isn't that sort of touching to you that here is this powerful military commander representing all the might of Rome, and he is so excited about this Jewish fisherman coming to his house to tell what God has in mind, that he gathers all of his network, all of his circle of influence in the house. By the way, in the New Testament, that is how the gospel primarily spreads. It spreads through the networks, the households, the circles of influence, that it goes through, uh, you know, neighborhoods and households like this. And so uh, those of us who are new Christians, we, we want to, 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 to share with our networks what Christ, what Christ has meant to us. We want to immediately reach out to our network circles of influence. Okay, Peter arrives at the house. House is full of eager, expectant people. And we read in verse 25. Now, now check this out. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Now, would you mind just appreciating the, uh, the wonder of that? I mean, the Roman military officers, you know, they would just arrogate to themselves. I mean, we're in charge. You Jews do what we say. But here is a Roman military commander when a Galilean 
fisherman comes in the door, he falls at his feet to worship him. I mean, that just speaks of Cornelius's uh, humility before God. That, hey, if God sent this man, if this is God's man, then I'm, I'm paying all attention. And church, we are reminded again that the grace of God flows to humble people. It does. Jesus said, he who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so in all of life, church, all of life, we want to humble ourselves and walk, uh, get low before Jesus, low before God. And if we do that, we'll be low before people also. Peter doesn't accept that worship. He, uh, he responds with humility also in verse 26. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I, I, I too am a man. Now, church, you know this, but I'm going to remind you of it, that there are a number of places in the Bible where somebody sees an angel or even a place like this where you see a man and, and they're so overwhelmed that, that they, they fall down to worship that angel or that man. But in every case, like this one, uh, it's always rejected. Oh, no, you can't worship me. I'm an angel. Oh, no, you can't worship me. I'm a man. The only exception is when the man, Jesus, is worshiped in the Gospels. No problem. Yeah, come on. That's, that's it. It just, you receive it. You receive that worship because he is not only man, he is God. And that is just one of so many uh, implicit and explicit ways that the New Testament just assumes Jesus is fully God. Okay, but Peter doesn't, doesn't hear that. He has him stand up. And then Peter addresses the whole household in verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. Now, that, that's the vision that he had two days earlier. And God had made it clear, not primarily about unclean foods, though the foods would change too. Today, you can eat shrimp. Um, but the point is, there's no unclean people. That's the point. And so God was teaching the early church that God cares about all the peoples on the earth, not just about the Jewish people. And God, the whole reason that he chose the Jews way back with Abraham in 2100 B.C. is not just to bless them, but so he could bless them and they would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. One day it would reach people like us, Gentiles. Yea, God, he cares about us. So in verse 30, Cornelius says, Four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. That is an angel. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. That is the third time in the chapter so far that uh, the Spirit of God reminds us it is because of his generosity and his prayer. Those matter to God. Those matter to God, and they still matter to God. God is looking for people who will express their devotion in their generosity and in their prayer. And so, verse 32, send there, he's describing the vision. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So, I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, don't you love that? I mean, what a perspective. Here he is, again, a Roman military officer. I mean, he's seen blood and gore and death 
across the empire, and yet God has so tendered his heart, tenderized his heart, that he's just so humble before God. We are here in the presence of God. Now, church, is that the way you think? Is that your reflexive response? That I'm not just here in the presence of this person, this neighbor, uh, these folks at work, but I'm here in the presence of God because the Bible tells you and me that God is always right here with us. I am with you always. So let's get that perspective. I, I stand in the presence of God. God is here right now, the most important person in this room. Peter responds, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, we saw in a, a passage on racism how uh, the Bible has nothing to do with, with racism. It, it crushes racism. The, the gospel, the love of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, the perspective of the Bible, the destiny in heaven, the command to love, all of that. No place at all. And, and it's right here in our passage. Uh, God shows no partiality, no discrimination, no prejudice. But in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, for 2,000 years, the Jews had somehow got this misconception in their mind that God really cares about the Jewish people only, and that was not so. And the Jewish people over time began to assume that God doesn't care about Gentiles, He just cares about us, and, and, and God was showing them how strongly that wasn't true completely. By the way, that tendency to exclude people, of course, is not a Jewish thing only. It's a Gentile thing just as much. In fact, since the church, since this day, uh, Jews have suffered so much discrimination themselves. Um, it is a human tendency. It is a sinful tendency for all of us. No exceptions. All of us. Me too. To tend to discriminate or show partiality to people who are different. And God says, I will not hear it. I will not hear it. That is a sinful human trait. And it's so contrary to the gospel and to the heart of God and to the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so Peter is learning that God cares about all the peoples on the earth, Jews and Gentiles. I think he had witnesses with him because this was such a blockbuster that he had to have some witnesses with him to vouch for him when he reports back to the headquarters church in Jerusalem. If we're going to be Christ's followers, Christ-like followers, then we too will care about all the peoples on the earth. Now, the disciples, Peter should have already known this because the next to last thing, the penultimate thing that Jesus said was in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all the nations, of all the peoples. The very last thing he said was in Acts 1, 8, as I said earlier, that you're to go to all the ends of the earth. So the church should have known this. But God has to sort of nudge them out of the nest, has to kick them out of the nest because they have yet to go to the Gentiles in the first chap nine chapters. And so he is pushing Peter. Peter, you go with them. Preach the gospel. And so he is, he is doing that finally. Now, at this point, Peter begins talking about Jesus, which is something that we should always do whenever we have opportunity to talk about Jesus. So verse 36 as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So notice how he sees Jesus. Yes, he was man, but he was fully God. He's the Lord of all. That's tantamount to saying he is God overall. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee 
After the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. One of those big themes through the book of Acts is that uh, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon his people, and that's how we live life. That's how we have the power to obey him and to love for him and to be bold in our witness for him and to reach out. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus lived. That's how we live. Verse 38. He, Jesus, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So Peter is saying to Cornelius and all his whole household, we were eyewitnesses. This is not religious theory. Um, this is eyewitness. We, we lived with him. We ate with him. We saw him. We lived with him. We talked with him. This is eyewitness testimony. Verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Peter's continued to underscore eyewitnesses were eyewitnesses. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now, church, all through the Bible, God is judge. He's the one who's judge of all people. He'll be the judge of us. And Jesus, as God, he has the prerogative of being judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43. Now, church, uh, as we read verse 43, this is one of those crystal clear verses on how anybody gets into heaven. Pay attention. 43, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. Let me, let me just pause right there before I get to it. To, to Jesus, all the Old Testament bears witness. The whole Bible is about Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. Every page of Scripture ultimately, in one way or the other, points to Jesus. And Peter gives voice to that here. Okay. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. How do we get forgiveness? We believe in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus. Probably the English word trust is a little bit better because sometimes we think of the English word believe, unlike the Greek word pistuo, but the English word believe, we might think that's something that goes on in my brain. That's something internal. It's not. It, it's it's catapulted out of my heart to Jesus. It's about the one I'm trusting in. So it's not an intellectual thing. It is a heart thing primarily. It involves the intellect. Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He is God and man. He's the God-man who died on a cross. It involves the intellect, but it involves a personal trust. All through the Bible, we read, this is how you come to faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. 98 times in the Gospel of John, the word believe. Believe, believe, believe. Now, we in English uh, today, it's very common, and I want to mildly put a caution here. It's very common to say, when did you um, invite Jesus into your heart? Or when did you commit your life to Jesus? Why, why don't we just use the biblical terms? Trust, believe, Acts 16, 31, Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I don't have an inherent objection to saying, invite Jesus into your heart. 
or commit your way to Jesus, if by that you mean trust Jesus, believe Jesus. But uh, let's just tend to go with a biblical terminology. Uh, the only way anybody gets into heaven is by putting our trust in a Savior who dies for me. Now, that's important because all the world, all the world, is not on the grace of God, free gift, salvation by faith plan. All the world is on let's earn it plan. Let's be good enough plan. Good works outweigh my bad works plan. Church, every other religion in the world, that's how you get to heaven. You're good enough. I would say 90% of Christendom, Christianity, in effect, has the same mindset. Church, the Bible points out that the only way we can get to heaven is by the blood of Jesus. Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, church, that is not going to be uh, popular or prominent because that does nothing for our ego. Right. Nothing. Do you know how much I contributed to my getting saved? Zero. Zero. Wasn't because I was born in the United States. Wasn't because my parents went to church some. It wasn't because I was good enough. Zero. Certainly not because I'm a pastor. Only the shed blood of Jesus and God in his mercy and his grace opened my eyes. So Peter makes it clear. Everyone who believes in him, trusts in him, receives him. It's nothing we do. It's all that we receive. We receive a free gift. Um, now I don't want to overemphasize my, my point about um, other kind of language, but this is what we need to mean by it. When we say commit yourself to Jesus or invite Jesus into your heart, uh, we, want to, we want to be clear. We are trusting the shed blood of Jesus to get me into heaven. And nothing I do, nothing I do. Okay, 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the Jews, that's code for Jewish, among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Now, so, so you're, you're getting, again, the clarity of how big a divide there was between Jews and Gentiles. If you think there's a, a, a big divide in much of America between African-Americans and Anglos or other races and between various races, I'm talking about even a bigger divide. I mean, they would wake up in the morning, oh, God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile. I mean, it, it was egregious. And God is teaching them. That's how so, so, so Peter's friends were amazed, amazed. I mean, what, what would this be like? Maybe you're in Saudi Arabia, you're in a business meeting, and, and somehow uh, you have the opportunity to share your faith. You know, what's your story? And you share your faith, and, and all the room of, of uh, these people who grew up Muslim clearly became Christians. Maybe it'd be something like that. You'd be kind of amazed. Whoa, what's going on here? Something like that. Enter into the... So the spirit, the fact that you, Gentiles, can get saved just like Jews can. How did they know the Spirit fell on them? Well, verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising God. Now, the same thing happened in Acts 2 with the Jews. That was their Pentecost. Whenever the Holy Spirit fell on them, uh, they spoke in tongues and were praising God. The same thing happened in Acts 8 with the half-Jews or the Samaritans. And now God is doing with the Gentiles. These three times, 
you have kind of like their own Pentecost. So in Acts 2, you've got the Jewish Pentecost, or the kind of the first initial Pentecost. In Acts 8, to show the Jews that God really cares about Gentiles, he did the same thing with the, with the I mean, the half, half Jews, the Samaritans. He did the same thing with the Samaritans. And now in Acts 10, he's got to show the Jews, Peter, those with him, that God cares about Gentiles. And the same thing happens. And it's a three-step process, really, to underscore it. Verse 47, Peter responds to what he sees by asking, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And always in the book of Acts, you come to Christ, you get baptized as a symbol that you are putting your trust in Christ, you're identified with Christ. If you have not been baptized yet since coming to Christ, then let us baptize you. We're going to have a baptism coming up July 5th, or if you just can't wait till then, let us know. We'll march ourselves out to that baptism and baptize you. Okay, what do we see in the book of Acts? In the book of Acts chapter 10, God cares about all the peoples of the earth. This has always been God's heart. Right at the outset of the Bible, it was God's heart. God said to Abraham, the very first you, I will bless you, and through you I will bless all the peoples of the earth. So God has always cared about Gentile people, but we in our humanists lost sight of it. But now here in Acts 10, God is teaching Peter and the early church all afresh again that God cares about every single person on the planet, including us. And so Wood says this means that we care about all the peoples of the earth, across the street and around the world. That's why we have the Chungs in Malawi, the Burtons in Ecuador, the Mazaras in Europe, Chandel in Taiwan, the Hantlers in the Middle East, the Seafelts in the Middle East, the Vons in the Middle East, the Rices in India, and more. And that's why we care about our streets, our communities, our city. Don't ever uh, pit uh, against each other. Well, we should focus on local missions as opposed to international missions. It's always both and. It's always both and. We care about both. We do both, just like in the Bible here. Remember, Cornelius, that God uses people who pray and people who are generous. If we're involved with what God's doing around the world and around the city, and if you're part of Wood's Edge, that means you're involved with it. We don't all pick up and move to Malawi, but we're all praying, we're all giving, we're all serving, and we're part of it together as a team. And in the same way that God blessed the Jews so they could bless all the world, God blesses you so you can be a blessing to, to other people. Remember the acronym BLESS we've been looking at. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share Jesus. Bless people. So the main point throughout Acts 10 is God cares about all the peoples of the earth. But it is very interesting to me, somewhat fascinating, that there is a secondary theme running throughout this chapter that God shows no partiality or favoritism. That means that God shows no prejudice, no discrimination, no ethnocentricity. That is that my people are the center of the universe. We're, we're special. We're better. No racism. No excluding people who are different from us. That means that we as followers of Christ, we, we're the first to cross a divide of any kind, whether or not that is racial, ethnic, political, or socioeconomic. It, it even means practical things, you know, going back to the COVID, our uh, COVID epidemic that, you know, there's all kinds of views about, well, how much you should do social distance lockdown. Uh, let's accept people who see it differently than we do. 
Let's, let's don't look down upon them. If they had half a brain, they'd know to do it like I do it. Uh, we just are going to be big-hearted, loving, accepting about points that disagree. And we're going to allow folks to disagree and love. Now, isn't it interesting, church, that three weeks ago, I began this watershed passage in Acts 10, one of the two or three key passages in the Bible about discrimination and prejudice and partiality. And the very next day was the murder of George Floyd. And all this happened in the last two weeks. And so the last two weeks, we've focused on racism and the issues in our country. And then after two weeks, go back and do the last half of Acts 10. You know, just almost bookended um, by this time. Maybe in the providence of God, God is showing us as a people, Wood's Edge, that uh, my heart is for all people equally. And that's what I expect of you, Wood's Edge. We have seen two things in this watershed passage. God's heart for the nations, for all the world. And God's heart for justice and compassion as opposed to, to prejudice and discrimination. Now, if that's God's heart, that must be our heart. And are you willing for that to be your heart? Are you willing to surrender all of this to God and say, God, give me your heart for the nations. Lord, give me your heart for justice and compassion. Give me your heart for all people. Church, may God give us grace. May God give us grace. Stand with me for prayer, please. First of all, church. If you're here in the room or you're watching online and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, it, it was crystal clear in this passage. If you have been thinking that you're going to get to heaven because you're a pretty good guy or because your good works are going to outweigh your bad works or because you go to church on occasion, then right now it should be clear to you that will not happen. That is the height of arrogance and pride because you're depending upon yourself. But rather, you reject all trust in yourself. And you say to the Lord, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Church, just breathe that prayer right now if you've never breathed that. Just, Jesus, save me by your blood. Church, do what Cornelius did. He humbled himself. Do not let pride keep you from admitting your need for a Savior. Do not do it. I beg you. Now, Papa, we want to have your heart for all the world, for our neighbors across the street, Lord God, and around the world. We want to have your heart. Please guide us to love like you love. Oh, Lord, we pray in Christ's name.